In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 23, which is known as the Psalm of the Shepherd. Uh, the title of this psalm, a psalm of David, which means the author of the psalm is David the prophet. And according to many scholars, this psalm is one of the first written psalms by prophet David. Its first part portraying the early stage of his life as a shepherd of the sheep. So he composed this psalm while he was a shepherd tending the sheep. And its contents clearly relate to the evidence of his history as a shepherd and with the memories of his early life. But there are different opinions about when David composed this psalm. Another opinion says, It refers to the time when David had obtained a complete victory over his enemies. So he composed the psalm as thanksgiving to God who protected him and cared about him. Also, others designate this psalm to be a psalm of David's maturity when he had a clear and strong understanding of the role of the shepherd and while he was reflecting back on his youth as a shepherd. Also some other scholars said the Aramaic paraphrase of this psalm actually commemorate when the Hebrew, Hebrew people delivered from captivity and exile. So they chanted the psalm as a triumph uh, over their enemies upon their return to their land. This psalm is different from many of the psalms composed by Prophet David. Most of his psalms full of complaints, but this psalm actually is full of comfort and the expression of delight in God's great goodness and dependence and reliance on him. In this psalm, David does not speak in his own person only, but as a representative of all the believers. So each one of us can chant this psalm to express his own emotions and feeling toward the God. Who is the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Definitely Christ is the shepherd spoken of. He said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of all believers who are all the sheep of his pasture as David also is one of the sheep of his pasture. So this psalm has always been regarded as one of beauty, comfort, and reassurance. And the different sects of the Jews loved this psalm. 
the Orthodox Jews loved the sun and the Reformed Jews also use the sun in worship in their synagogue. The main theme of the sun is the watchful care which God had extended over David and over all of us. And the consequent assurance because of this care which David felt that God would still watch over him and supply all his needs all the days of his life. So the main idea is his full belief that God would provide for him and that he would never be left to want or need anything because of the goodness of God. In previous Psalm, Psalm 22, which actually a prophecy about all the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Psalm 22, it is a magnificent portrait of the suffering shepherd. But in Psalm 23, we see a joyful portrait of the rejoicing and satisfying flock by their shepherd. In Psalm 22, we saw the shepherd hanged on the tree of the cross to carry the labors of his people and to bring them forth through his cross to his glory. In Psalm 23, we see the shepherd leading his flock to bring them forth to green pastures, the paradise of joy. Usually in the litany for the departed, we say the image is taken from Psalm 23, repose their souls on green pasture beside still waters. So these words taken from Psalm 23 to symbolize the paradise. So after we read about the suffering shepherd in Psalm 22, in Psalm 23, how after his crucifixion, he led all those who died on faith of resurrection to the paradise of joy to repose their souls on green pastures beside still waters. Also, we will see in the Psalms symbols of the holy and sacramental work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will speak about baptism. We will speak about uh, Mayroon, confirmation. Would we'll speak about repentance? Would we'll speak about communion? So, the four essential segments for salvation are mentioned in this psalm. Also, there is hint toward the sacrament of uh, priesthood. And the oil can be the oil of Myron, the Holy Spirit, or also the oil of the unction of the sick. So we can see almost six out of seven sacraments are mentioned in the psalm. And the early Christian made it an integral part of the liturgy of baptism. Also, how, how they made this part, integral part of baptism, the catechumens used to be baptized on the resurrection. So in the evening of the Feast of Resurrection, the newly baptized catechumens 
used to sing it after getting the two sacraments of baptism and chrismation, wearing white garments and holding candles and joyfully hastening toward the altar of the Lord to partake of the heavenly banquet while they were saying, you have prepared for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Also, you know, the numbering in the Akbaya is according to the Septuagint, so there is difference in number. So Psalm 23 in the Akbaya is Psalm 22. So we pray this Psalm in the third hour of the Akbaya, the second Psalm in the third hour of the Akbaya. As I told you, in this Psalm there is reference to the Holy Spirit, and we know in the third hour the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples. So we prayed in the third hour of the Agbaya to commemorate the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. And also in the third hour, we remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was condemned to death, the sentence of death, and he was delivered to be crucified. The fathers of the church saw in Psalm 23 both a prophecy and a summary of the mysteries, sacraments, of the new Christian. We used to call baptism, chrismation, repentance, communion, we we used to call them sacraments. But more accurately, they are called mysteries, mysterion. Sacrament means from word sacred, something sacred. But mysterion, it is beyond just being sacred. It's a mystery how we are we are reborn or born again in the waters of the baptism. How we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament or mystery of communion. For example, St. Gregory of Nyssa spoke about this psalm and the sacrament or the mysteries of the church. And he said, By this psalm, Christ teaches the church that, first of all, you must become a sheep of the Good Shepherd. The catechetical instructions guides you to the pastures and fountains of doctrine. So that is the time when people learn about Christ. We call them catechumens. So they are led into the green pastures. And as I will explain later, one of the explanations of the green pasture is the word of God. Then when he spoke about the valley of shadow of death, most of the church fathers said this represents baptism. Because in, in baptism we are buried, we die with Christ. But it is shadow. It's not real death, it is just shadow. As St. Gregory of Nyssa said, then you must be buried with him into death by baptism. But this is not death, but a shadow, an image of death. Then he prepares the mystical table. Then he anoints you with the oil of the Spirit, oil of the Spirit, chrismation. Table is communion. And finally, 
He presents the wine that gladdens the heart of man and produces that sober inebriation characteristic of the true Christian. The fruit of the Spirit in your, in your life. We know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. And usually, wine is a symbol of joy. So here we can see first learning about the Word of God, the green pasture, baptism, the valley of shadow of death, uh, poured oil on my head, that is chrismation, prepared the table before me, that's communion, then my cup runs over, uh, that's actually the joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the, and also the gifts of the Spirit. This psalm is a short psalm, just six verses. The outline from verse 1 to 4, the Lord as shepherd. Verse 5 and 6, the Lord as host. We are the guests and he is hosting us. So let's start from verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, under the metaphor borrowed from the scenes of pastoral life with which David was familiar, he described God's providential care in providing nourishment to us, guidance, protection, abundance. So he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Because God provides nourishment, guidance, protection, abundance, exactly like any shepherd provides for his flock. So, the Lord is my shepherd summarizes the message of the whole psalm. It declares the Lord is my shepherd and thus acknowledges God as the one who protects and guides him. When said the Lord is my shepherd means God is the one who guides me and protects me. Actually, the idea that God is a shepherd is a familiar idea throughout the Bible. It started actually from the book of Genesis. Jacob, when he blessed his children, when he blessed Joseph, his son, he said, the Lord, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, in Genesis 49, verse 24. And also, many references to the Lord as a shepherd, like in Psalm 80 and in Isaiah 40. Even in the New Testament, Christ's relationship to his people is often represented by the figure of a shepherd. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. Also, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 5, Peter referred to the Lord Jesus Christ as the great shepherd, and also in Hebrews chapter 13. But in the Old Testament, we need to recognize and understand that the word shepherd signifies more than someone who shepherds sheep. Shepherd in the Old Testament was a royal metaphor in the ancient East. So to call God shepherd means 
to acknowledge God as my king, as one who rules over my life, and I will surrender completely to his will. And David did not say the Lord is the shepherd. No. Said David, make it very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. It would not just that the Lord a shepherd for others in theoretical sense, but David experienced the Lord is his shepherd. It is a real personal shepherd for David himself. Uh, so the idea here in David's mind that God's role in, in David's life the loving, caring, and concern. St. Augustine says, the church speaks to Christ, the Lord feeds me, I shall lack nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd, and I shall lack nothing. St. Gregory of Nyssa says, David invites you to be one of the sheep whose shepherd is Christ and who lack no good thing. So if you experienced Christ to be your shepherd and allowed Christ to be your shepherd, actually you will be satisfied. You will say with you, I don't need anything else. The good shepherd makes himself everything for you. He is your passion, water, of rest, food, dwelling place, the way of righteousness. Also, he gives you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, distributing his grace according to your needs. Also, St. Cyril of Alexandria said, those who belong to Christ have as their guide not a simple holy man, as Israel had Moses, but we have the prince of shepherds and the teacher of doctrine in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall, I shall not want, means all my needs are supplied by the Lord my shepherd. But also it may mean I decided not to desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives. I'm satisfied by him. I'm content with him. So since he is my shepherd, I decided not to want anything else. For Christ himself will be my food, my drink, my clothing, my protection, my peace, all my help for a life full of joy. As the Lord said to Paul, St. Paul, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His grace is sufficient for me. I lack nothing. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Makes me to lie down 
not only he feeds me, but also he makes me to rest and to enjoy tranquility, peace, safety in green pastures. We are so weak that we even need God's help to enable us to lie down. He makes me to lie down. And the green pastures are not outer blessings, but rather an internal blessing where we enjoy the dwelling of Christ in me to grant me satisfaction and I will be in no need of anything. He faithfully guides the sheep to green pasture after getting plenty to eat. The flock are led by the shepherd also to a stream of water, still water, to a fountain flowing with fresh water, to drink and quench their thirst and revive their souls. Yet the flock cannot go to these fountains of water by themselves. We need the leadership of the shepherd to provide his flock with their needs. So the rest of the soul, nowadays many people suffer from anxiety. The rest of the soul is so hard to attain. Nobody ever does reach it except by the power of God. The shepherd also knew the good places to make his sheep rest. As I told you in the litany for the departed, we say repose your souls in green pasture beside still waters. The image is taken from here. And also, if you remember, on the third day prayer, when somebody departs, we bring green uh, beside also water. So the image will be the same image in the, the green pasture beside still waters. Uh, St. Augustine describes the green pasture as place of fresh pasture leading me to faith. And he said the still waters are the waters of baptism whereby they are refreshed who have lost health and strength. So he is saying, according to St. Augustine, if a person sins, so God leads him to green pasture, and green pasture here is to restore my faith. Then in the water of baptism, we actually restore or we born again and we restore what we have lost from our strength and our health. St. Cyril of Alexandria teaches that the green pasture mean the ever fresh words of the Holy Scripture. So the green pasture is the word of God. 
which nourishes the hearts of the believers and gives them spiritual strength. After having fed the person who comes to him in faith with his word, Green Bashur, the Lord leads him to the waters of baptism. So number one, we learn about faith, Green Bashur. Then we are baptized, making him a sheep of his holy flock, whose destiny is only to enter into God's rest. So feed me with the word of God, Green Bashur, still water, baptism, lie in place of rest, that is the family of God. St. Cyril of Alexandria said, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are young. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. Verse 3 He restores my soul with the green basher and still water and place of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So, the tender care of the shepherd described in verse 2 had its effect intended and expected effect. David's soul was restored by the figurative green basher and still waters. So, restores my soul maybe also means bring me to repentance because in repentance I lost my soul, I lose my soul, sorry, in sin I lose my soul. You know about the prodigal son when he repented? The Bible says he returned to his soul. So restores my soul means bring me to repentance. He restored my soul to its original purity. Uh, maybe David speaks of his own experience. After having learned of God's way, he strayed from the path of righteousness when he committed adultery and fell into this deadly sin. But God led him back, restored his soul, and he led him in the way of righteousness. When David forsook the ways of God, and having done that sin, God led him more carefully than before, giving him a second chance to repent and to walk in the way of of righteousness. That's why he said, he leads me in the path of righteousness. Path of righteousness means in a straight, plain, safe path where the sheep is neither hurt nor weary nor in danger of wandering or going astray. What are the paths of righteousness? It is the righteousness of Christ. He leads me to himself because he is the way. This can help anyone, no matter how far 
we may have strayed from God. How great is our sins or graves our sins. But Christ can lead us and restore us and lead us in the way of righteousness. Uh, and he can convert us and learn to do the will of God. His word, he directs, by his words, he directs me to the right ways of truth and holiness and righteousness. And by his spirit, he influences me and enables me to choose them and to continue to walk in them. We say the word of God is anointed by the spirit. So the way of God, the word of God, direct me, give me the way. But the spirit that anoints the word of God influences me and enabling me to choose what's right and to be able to walk in the right way. But he is doing this not because I deserve it, but for his name's sake, for his own glory, for the praise of his grace, not for any merits in us. God's care toward us is derived from the perfection and goodness of his own nature because he's good, because his love is rich and his mercy is abundant, not based on our worthiness, not based on our merits. As St. Augustine said, he has brought me forth in the narrow way wherein few walk, not for my merits' sake, but for his name's Seek. Verse 4 Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is called the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. Because death has no authority over us anymore. Christ abolished the power of death on the cross. According to St. Augustine, the shadow of death is to walk in the midst of this life with all the hardships and tribulations that we face every day. This psalm, as I said in the introduction, is full of joy. The valley of shadow of death This is the only and the first dark note in this beautiful psalm. Previously, David wrote of green pastures, still waters, path of righteousness. Yet, when he started to follow the Lord as a shepherd, we may still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And David used this powerful word, to speak of some kind of dark, fearful experience. As if he is saying, though I am in risk of death, though in the midst of dangers, deep as valley, dark as the shadow, dreadful as death, but I will fear no evil, because you are with me. I fear no evil, neither the evil of Satan, the evil one, 
who is the wolf that comes to the flock to kill and destroy, nor the evil of the roaring lion who seeks whom he may devour, because the Lord my shepherd is on my side, nor evil men who kill the body but cannot do anything more to my soul. Most of the church fathers said the valley of the shadow of death is baptism. For example, St. Gregory of Nyssa said, It is necessary for you to be buried in death with him by baptism. But it is not really death, but a shadow, an image of death. Sincere of Alexandria said, For we are baptized into the death of Christ. Baptism is called the shadow, an image of death, in face of which there is no longer anything to fear. Why, if I walk in the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The same protector, the same gracious and merciful God is still with me leading me, guiding my steps, shepherding me, keeping me from evil. And then David used two things here, two instruments, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Two words noting the same thing or two different things. Rod can be for discipline a staff for guidance and support. But both are pointing to God's pastoral care over us. The rod and the staff are instruments used by a shepherd. So the idea of a strong walking rod to support and also used to gently as much as possible to guide the sheep and protect them from potential predators. So the rod, the staff for support and guidance, rod for discipline. But both, they comfort me. And since the Holy Spirit is the comforter, so the rod and the staff can refer to the work of the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit comfort me and guide me and teach me, that is the staff, but convicts me, that is the rod. As St. Gregory of Nyssa says, the Holy Spirit comforts the believers or guides them with the rod and staff, the shepherd's crook of the Spirit. For the one who guides or comforts is the Spirit, the paraclete. The Greek verb here is paraklesan. St. Augustine said about the rod and the staff, Thy discipline, like a rod, so rod can be discipline, for a flock of sheep, and like a staff for children of some size, and growing out of the natural into spiritual life. They have not been grievous to me, rather they have comforted me because you are mindful of me. So, Augustine is saying, 
your discipline, the rod, or your staff, made me grow from the natural into the spiritual life. And your discipline and your guidance were not grievous to me. Rather, they comforted me because you are mindful of me. Then verse 5, now the figure is changed after he spoke about God as shepherd. Now from verse 5 and verse 6, the last two verses, he speaks about God as a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So the figure is changed. God now is described as the host who bountifully treats the psalmist at his table and provides him with a lodging in his own house. So David envisioned the provision and the goodness given by the Lord as if God is inviting him to a rich table prepared for him. The word the table, God did not give him just a, a small amount, a plate of food, sandwich, no. Prepared a table suggests abundance. And prepared means he took time to prepare, which means care. And before me suggests personal connection. So every word here has a meaning. The Lord's care and concern does not eliminate the presence of my enemies. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So his care and concern does not eliminate the presence of the enemies, but enables the experience of the goodness of God and his abundance even in the, the midst of the enemies. Sometimes when we are surrounded by enemies, we get afraid or scared. But no, God actually is with me. I will not be afraid. So the psalmist means that God who cares for us, seeing our enemy standing against us, so he by himself prepares for us a table without haste, preparing, taking time without confusion or disturbance. And he told us, enjoy your meal without fear from the enemy. I'm lying here, I'm standing here to protect you from the enemies who are lying in wait for you. So one shall have joy as well as safety. He shall be prepared for service as well as protected from destruction. So the meal here, prepare me for service, and the presence of God protect me from destruction. Uh, Being his beloved own, we are his own people, we are beloved to him. He grant us peace and fulfillment even in the midst of the spiritual battle in the presence of our enemies. In his love, God by himself presented the table for us 
after washing our feet together with his disciples, after forgiving our sins. The shepherd who granted his people a victorious exodus from Egypt prepared for them a table, the manna from heaven, the bread came from heaven, on their journey in the wilderness. Although they have enemies in the wilderness who fought against them. Old church father said, this table is the table of his body and blood. Sincere of Jerusalem said, what does David mean by this? You prepare a table before me. If not the mystical and spiritual table which God has prepared for us. And you see that David is speaking of the chalice, my cup runs over, over which Christ said, after giving thanks, this is the chalice of my blood. So all of them understood the table is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Ambrose also says, having abandoned the remains of the former error and renewed his youth like that of an eagle, the newly baptized hurriedly approaches the celestial banquet. So, after abandoning the remains of former error when we renounce Satan and renewed our youth like of eagle when accept Christ, and I'm speaking about the rite of baptism. So the newly baptized is rushing towards the table, this celestial banquet. He arrives and seeing the altar prepared, he exclaims, thou hast prepared a table before me. So he's saying, after we are baptized, anointed with the Mayroon, we run to the table of the Lord to eat of his body and drink from his blood. And despite the dangers about and the presence of the enemies, David enjoyed the richness of God's goodness. That's why in verse 6, which is the last verse, he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So in spite of the presence of the enemies, but surely, definitely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, David was refreshed by a head anointed with oil and his cup was overfilled when he said, you anointed my head with oil, my cup runs over. Uh, In the old day, those in grief used to cover themselves with dust and ashes. But those in joy used to wash up and anoint their heads with oil. Also, anointing the guests with oil was a common sign of honor and hospitality. Like tomorrow you will read in the Gospel of the Liturgy, this uh, woman who poured oil on the head of the Lord. No, when the Lord said to Simeon, you did not pour oil on my head, but she washed my feet with her tears. Also in the Bible, anointing anointing used to designate a person for a significant role. 
For example, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, kings were anointed with oil. Aaron as a high priest was anointed uh, in the wilderness of Sinai. Priests, kings, and prophets. And in the New Testament, it speaks about Jesus as the anointed one, Messiah, Al-Masih, Al-Mamsuh, Chrismated One, Christ, means the anointed one. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. His anointing set him apart for this unique rule, role as prophet, as a priest, and as a king. So when the psalmist says that God has anointed his head with oil, he means that God has marked him as a special, set him apart for significant role. Also, it may means it may mean the pouring out largely upon him of the Spirit of God and His graces, the anointing which teaches all things according to Saint John, and filling him with the spiritual joy and comfort, the anointment of the Holy Spirit. Like in the sacrament of Myron, every believer is anointed as a general priest. That's what we call priesthood of laity, to become a position of God and to receive God as his own position and portion. When we lift up our prayers, we offer sacrifice of praise. When we do charitable deeds, we offer a sacrifice of charity. My cup runs over. I not only have what I wish, but I have more. Not only what I can hold, but something also to spare. Usually God gives us more than what we understand or we ask. As St. Augustine said, my cup runs over mean spiritual joy. It is the pouring of the Holy Spirit. As we read in Acts chapter 2, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter is standing up with the living, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Jewel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. St. Gregory of Nyssa says, Christ providing the soul with the wine that makes glad the heart of men provokes in it that sober intoxication which elevates the disposition of the heart from transitory to eternal things. He who has tasted, in fact, this drunkenness, trades the temporal for that which has no end and remains in the house of God all the days of his life. So, in summary, St. Gregory of Nyssa is saying, God is providing us with the Holy Spirit, and he called the wine called the Holy Spirit wine. 
And as the wine brings gladness to the heart of men, so Holy Spirit, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And as wine intoxicates the people, the Holy Spirit intoxicates me. That's why St. Paul said, don't be drunk with alcohol, rather be filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, then my heart will be elevated from temporal to eternal. When I taste the sweetness of the joy of the Holy Spirit, then I will desire to remain in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, as he said in verse five and I will verse six, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As God's goodness and mercy have always followed David in the past, David has no doubt that they will continue to stay with him all the days of, of his life. In the same way, as we experience God's goodness and mercy in the past, we know that his goodness and his mercy remain with me the rest of my life. For nothing can separate us from the love of God if we don't separate ourselves from him. So as if David is saying, the divine goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. When that is ended, when my life on earth will end, I will shall go to a better world, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the house of my heavenly Father, in which there are many mansions. That's why he said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I die, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm ends with the calmest assurance that he would enjoy the presence of the Lord forever, both in his days on earth and beyond in eternal life. I will remain or I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, reminds us by Psalm 27 when David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This concludes Psalm 23. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.